This week's Filmmakers Podcast is brought to you by Massive, the fastest way to send and receive massive film and video files. Send uncompressed dailies, locked pictures, DCPs and more with Massive. Spelt M-A-S-V. Keep listening to hear how you can receive 100 gigabytes for free towards your next transfer. Massive. The Pod Fix Network. Hello and welcome to episode 261 of the Filmmakers Podcast. This is a podcast where we talk... Podcasting. Not filmmaking. From indie films to studio films and... Much more. Everything in between. How to get them made, how to make them and how to try not to... Do it wrong. In our very, very humble opinion. I am Giles Alderson. With me today is... Andrew Roger. It's me. I'm back. Yay. Yay. He's back. Uh, he is uh, joining us as the host on this show, as well as us in the Rhodes Takra, because we have on Dave Beaton. Uh, Dave is the director of... Of confession that Andrew Roger is the cinematographer and Lucinda Rose Takra is the producer for. Oh, yes. Uh, Dave Beaton, so if you don't know, has worked on many films and TV productions, including recently EastEnders and Hollyoaks, but he's mainly known for his film work. He's produced and written Screwed and Green Street 3, and he's also directed Tower Block, uh, and he's directed and written. I Am Soldier and The Hatton Garden Job. But what we're here to talk about is the feature film Confession, which is out today. Who does it star, Andy? It stars Colin Meany and Stephen Moyer and Claire Hope Ashty. Yes, and Chris Johnson and... And Sadie Jean Shirley. What a cast. What a lineup. Um, on the pod, we talked about uh, how terrifying it can be in the business at the moment, the business changes that are happening. Why Dave wanted to make a contained movie, how he wrote it in two weeks, and why he's very structured when he writes. Uh, we also talked about the director-DOP relationship, why we should move the camera, shooting day for night, and why movie making is about tone. We also talked about why you can't please everyone, um, the stress that can happen on set, why it's an addiction to make movies and the raising of the finance. We also talked about the 20 minute takes we did on set. Um, and uh, Dave also talks about uh, waiting to kick doors in to move forward in this business. It's a brilliant episode. Dave was very candid, very open. And myself, Andrew and Lucinda had a really delightful chat. It was really ace, really enjoyed it. Before we get to the episode though, uh, Andrew, you have some news which is super exciting. Yep. Um, the new single from X Kings is out. Uh, it comes out, it came out yesterday. Uh, <laughs> it's called... Is, is that Jay-Z's new? No, this is my hip-hop project. Um, I'm Wait, not... are you serious? Have you not heard this? No! Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. What? A, I've got a hip-hop, I've been, we've been on it for about 18 months. There's like loads of tracks, so this is our you're first track blowing, of <laughs> You're blowing my mind because yeah, yeah, your I'm not music MC, is metal. Obviously. But yeah, so the drummer in my metal band, yeah. Well, we're doing a hip hop project, just me and him. I'm producing, he's producing, he's emceeing. That's so um, cool. Mate, I want to hear this. Thanks, man. X Kings, X K N G S. We'll put a link in the show notes. That wasn't the news I expected, um, but I liked it. <laughs> <laughs> because your actual news, apart from X Kings news, which is Ace, the X Kings, what a great title as well. Uh, the, your news is about a very nice large feature film you have. Thanks, dude. So, yeah, I got offered a film, uh, quite a big budget film, action movie with aeroplanes and stuff. With Airplane not the one you're thinking of that's already been shot got you but yeah um 
it's quite exciting that's going to start in about a month. Uh, look, it's so amazing. It's such good news. But I suppose what might help our audiences is how do you present yourself to keep moving forward, I suppose? That's the thing, I guess, isn't it? I mean, as long as you, I mean, you're not always moving up. Sometimes you move down a little bit for a film and then you get back up again. But the thing that's been really useful to me is keeping an up-to-date showreel. Yes. And, I, and people keep, I, I, I've had contrary advice. They're saying that once you get to a certain point, you don't need one. And that might be true, but that's not me yet. So having an up-to-date showreel that shows the kind of work that you're pitching for kind of work that you want to do mm -hmm. um, is been really useful and I got I think I feel like I got this film because of the showreel I had and because in it it links to some stuff from the dare and the dare is quite a similar kind of setup uh -huh. to this um, it's kind of a contained thing good name drop for the dare still available now you can watch it on Sky Movies or the dare. The dare. Amazon uh <laughs> I don't feel like I'm able to come with the show without talking about the dare like it, I think it's I think it's just natural now that we just do it's just part of the culture isn't it it's, it's part just... of the culture of this podcast people just accept it yeah <laughs> skips probably just tune out but no, but that, that's really interesting because uh, we were shooting pickups the other day on Wolves of War on the war film so we're just doing the final bits of that and then I'm locking picture this week very super excited and then awesome. we're getting on to sound uh, grade uh, score and tying it all together in a lovely little bow and putting it out into the world very soon but you said to me oh I've got this new reel and I was like oh wow I hadn't seen it and then that night I watched it and I was like wow it's really well laid out and you can watch it at 35millimeterdop.com yep 35mmdop.com yep, cool. go have a look at that but I really enjoyed how you've done it and I, I've always liked your showreels anyway but I felt this was really cool you'd sort of taken things from Stay Close which is the number one uh, show on Netflix recently wasn't it which yeah. is amazing and then you've, you've done it in sections this time rather than just an, a mumble jumble of stuff that was the thing yeah I think I think what that's what's changed is like earlier it was like here are some good shots and here are some like, here's all the different things I've done like trying to show the experience of, I have but now I'm a little older maybe and now the projects I'm getting people more want to see like a section of something like that you can keep a coherent look across the project or that you've done a certain thing so I did that and I put I've put like stay close for like the bits that are stay close and then there's like a the dare section and then there's like a you know confession bit that's really cool do you think that having a website like say so you mentioned about the showreel and stuff but do you also think having a website as a DP is is pretty vital I think it's super important I mean you know as, as well as networking like as much as you can but uh, but if, yeah, if you're not that kind of person, then for sure, man. Websites are good because they can be international. People can look at them all over the world at any time of day or night and you haven't got to be there sending stuff out. So yeah, they're, they're good. But just make them really clear and simple and shareable. And So t talk us through how you, like when you're going for a pitch meetings for any of these jobs, what is it that you set out? What is it that you say? You know, it's always interesting. We, do, we always talk about the director side of it all the time or the producer mm. or the writer, how you pitch your project. But how do you do that as a cinematographer? So there's a couple of different, I've like noticed two different types of interview. One is kind of, they want you to come with ideas and they'll say, look, if you have any references or anything, because mm -hmm. they'll always send you the script first. So sometimes I'll pull together a little mood board of stuff in a PDF or something that has, you know, things that I like that are eye-catching that might work for the tone and then you can go and that's something to talk about with the director the other half of the time they've already seen your work they've seen something that you've done that they like mm -hmm. and they just want to make sure you're not a dickhead and right. they can work with you and that's quite useful for me as well because I can also suss them out a bit so it's, it's a bit like a date um, like a job interview yes kind of it's a job interview yeah it's a job interview but you like say you're working very closely with the director the producers whoever else it is. so therefore you've got to make sure that you're going to like each other because there's nothing worse than a director DP falling out so it is a, but it's a date you're right if it's a director's project you're coming on as right you've got to sort of be that person I, right? I, I guess and the thing I've accepted because I used to get quite 
like over prepare for them and quite stressed about them but to be honest nowadays I'm just I think so much of it is talking to someone and just vibing with them and seeing if you get on and like and if they don't like you you might as well be the person that you are and if they can cope with that then that's great you'll work well together and if not it's not the job for you yeah no I like that and I've actually done better I think with that attitude than and being that's like I've got this and look at this and that says something doesn't it I think it's the same with actors when they come in the room when they're all fully nervous and tense and going yes yes no I must do this and I prepared this but it can it's the same sometimes it's a bit more relaxed I know it's really hard to do and the same with going to a meeting for anyone is pitching oh it's really hard but you've got to get good at it practice you know be prepared to kiss a lot of frogs you know what I mean practice and film yourself doing it what do you look like if you've got to do an actual pitch a presentation yeah it's so important um, amazing congratulations I look forward to announcing that when we can thanks uh, dude you skipped past a bit of amazing news which is pretty much finished Wolves of War yes uh, it's super exciting yeah I'm really it, it's looking great it's looking great, really great. good. Yeah. amazing. Thank you. Yeah, Neil Lenthal has done a great job cutting it together and now getting the score and bits. Yeah, it's all coming together. I'm pleased with it. Just got a lot of notes from friends, filmmaker friends I know, directors, editors, producers, just to give me that feedback, like yourself included, just to sort of go, hey, where are we at? Is there anything we can improve here? And it's been really nice to get the good feedback and feel that we're in the right place you know we have some shout outs for those people who have been amazing this week whether they've joined our patreon uh, which you can do as well or they've uh, replied to our wrap up which is our weekly uh, sunday report on the news that's happening uh, or they've just been ace on twitter and just retweeted and liked our stuff and made a comment about it thank you thank you there's more sometimes i miss them but these are the ones that have 12th peer production wesley jones uh, lynn coleman welcome uh, kurt weiser rain mccormack radistin radev and Lucille Howe. Uh, thank you, thank you, thank you. We got an email from Caroline Steiner. I hope I've pronounced your name right, Caroline. Um, she is working on a project called La Pushka, which is directed by Kevin Proctor and actually DOP'd by Sashi Kisun, who I've worked with in the past. The cast includes Maxine Peake, Barney Fishwick, Sunil Patel, Rob Carter, Nicola Holt, Bobby Mayer and Tim Renkov. They have already shot this. It is brilliant they're now wanting a bit of money for their post and they don't need much so if there's anything you can spare have a look at their indiegogo campaign link to it will be in the show notes it's called the butternut squash gang in colon la pushka and it stars maxine peak uh, she's playing an 11 year old in it they believe the world needs something that is plain and simple and this is a nostalgic adventure to laugh with and watch again and again uh, movies that inspired this are things like the goonies and stand by me there's so many local children who performed in this as well uh, and they deserve all the love and luck that they can so they just need a bit more cash so if you can support if you've got anything to give this week then please do links to this are in the show notes and of course letting you know reminding you next week we have on Ian McKellen that is right Sir Ian McKellen he of Lord of the Rings fame will be joining myself Matthew Butler Hart and Tory Butler Hart for a very special in-depth interview about his career he talks acting working with directors and producing a movie himself look out for that next week with Ian Blooming McKellen. <laughs> right, Andrew Roger. Hello, Giles Alderson. Shall we get to today's episode with Lucinda Rhodes Tacker and our special guest, Dave Beaton? No. Right. All right. Take care, everyone. We will right. see you Thanks. next Good Tuesday. Bye bye. Oh, all right. Here it is. Here is our episode with the rather delectable Dave Beaton. 
How are we? How are we, Dave? You all right? Yeah, very good, mate. Andrew, how are you? How have you been? Did you enjoy New Year and did you enjoy your Christmas? Yeah, it was good. Quite, quite Christmas, quite New Year. Obviously, same as everyone this year. But yeah, it was real nice. Been uh, using the time to tidy up and do a bit of car stuff. All good. Yeah. Excellent. I like it. So Confession is out now. Go and watch wow. it. It is amazing. What an achievement, right? You know, making a film in COVID, in lockdown, is still a great achievement, I think, generally. How did you feel just sort of, the three of you really, making movies in lockdown? Let's all answer at the same time. Should all we answer at the same, the same time. <laughs> For me, you know, the whole lockdown thing, to start with, it was, you know, it was a bit of a novelty. But then I did make a conscious decision, like... If I don't do something creative, I'm going to go quite mad. I knew that our business was in a in a peculiar state at that point. And that's when I decided, you know, me and my wife, my kids, we, we hadn't really got out of our pyjamas for a couple of weeks. You know what I mean? So I was like, we need to start living like normal human beings again. Mm -hmm. And part of that for me was to do what I normally do is that I, I treat our art and our job like a job. Do you know what I mean? I make sure that I... I get up in the morning, I go to my computer and I, I work, I have a tea break, all that type of stuff. That's what works for me. So I decided that I needed to write a film. Confession was like, it was a project that had been kind of in the back of my mind for a couple of years. It was, it was, it, I, had a, I had an idea for a movie about a guy in a confession box confessing some terrible things that he'd done for the right reasons. So bad things for the right reasons. And that was all I had. But this then kind of made me sit down and decide to, to write this movie. And also from a business point of view, I thought if and when film comes back, contained movies are going to be safer to shoot, all of those types of things. So there was a creative rationale behind it, mm. um, along with a business rationale behind it. So I sat down and um, I wrote it really quick. I wrote, I'd done the first draft in two weeks. And wow. um, it was, it was super, I'm quite a fast writer anyway, but this was super quick. And then I gave it to Lucinda and then, you know, it, it then just happened really quickly from there, from there on, you know, from, from the minute I finished the script, was that in eight, end of April? Because we'd only met uh, once at, a, at the Hatton Garden job premiere years ago. Um, yeah. And then David and I spoke on the phone you know, you'd got my yeah, number yeah, from somebody call. or whatever. And we had a call and we got on really well. And that was in the December. And then by April, you'd finished Confession and we shot in September. November. No, November. Yeah, November. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that all happened really quick. It did. What's your writing process like then? It said you took two weeks. Does Is there a, gest, a gestation period where you sit on it for a bit you know like you, you, maybe it's been in the back of your mind for a year and you're slowly thinking about an idea or did this literally come out of this moment and, and you're there with the kids <laughs> and you go right I've, I've got to you know make make something and was it was it that quick tell us about your writing process generally for me it's very structured my writing process really mm -hmm. um I will formulate an idea and it could be it could be something that's in my mind bubbling for could be a couple of days couple of weeks or even this one the idea for confession was a couple of years, but I'd never really, I had the idea stored, but I'd never, I'd never fleshed it out. So right. before I, before I ever open final draft, I always make sure I have a solid outline. I write an outline, which mm -hmm. is, that's my recipe for the meal. Right. And then once I've got my recipe, I can then start cooking. And when I cook, I can add extra ingredients as I go along, but I have a recipe to, to guide me. And that's how nice. I've always done my writing, you know. So whatever whatever it is, I make sure things can change, but I make sure 
I have I, I don't free write. You know, some 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 people free write. They're open final draft, and they they just go and see see where it lands. But for me, I need to have structure. If I don't have structure, it's kind of it, it, it falls down, and I, I kind of take that for me. I take that into the way I direct as well. Is is I like to have, as Andy will confirm, that I like to spend time with my DP doing a shot list and all this sort of stuff. And I'd say sixty percent of the time, I'll stick to that. And, and it's the same with the outline of the script. I don't always stick to it because cre- when you're a creative person and you're doing this type of stuff, you want to let the, the creative stuff take over a bit. But mm. as long as, for me, as long as I've got a guideline of what, I, of what I'm working towards, it's kind of my safety blanket more than anything else. And that's how I do it. It's interesting because, like you say, Confession was, it is a contained film so therefore the idea might have been easier in the gestation to go okay well i want this to happen i want that to happen what's really tough about it though is because it is contained there is a lot of words and it's potentially most of the time two people on screen so therefore Mm. you've got you've got to have a lot of backstory a lot of interesting ups and downs within that um Mm. because there is a lot going on but you've got to hide it or keep it secret for moments how did you find Mm. that because you've really got a plant where you want your seeds your mini ideas and your your ups and downs to go otherwise it's you know it's a chamber piece forever um but whereas you put so much depth into it it's it's a really good question and it it was incredibly tough because you know, I, I come from the school of show it, don't say it. But of course, when you're dealing with a movie like Confession, which is, it's a big crime movie without the crime. Mm. In the same way Reservoir Dogs was a heist movie without the heist, right? When you're dealing with a, a whole movie that is the e- it's basically the end of something big and fantastical that's happened, there has to be, by default, a lot of exposition in there to get it across. And now the, the problem, obviously, with exposition, if it's... It, if it's, you know, obviously it's on the nose, but if it's too on the nose, it becomes boring and you're, you're, you're leading the audience too much. So the trick with Confession, which was very difficult, was to give the exposition that the viewer needs whilst keeping the mystery alive so they don't understand exactly where it's going and what the, the revelations are going to be. So it was just kind of like, what I tried to do is with Victor Strong, Stephen Moyer's character in particular, I just tried to put myself in his position Mm. and go, right, if I've got all of this stuff that I need to I need to reveal, how would I do it and how would I take control of the situation? So more than more than I've ever done before in a script, I really kind of wrote quite a lot in the first person from his perspective. And that's how I think it, you know, I'm not gonna say it's perfect, nothing's perfect, you know. Mm. Um I'm sure there's 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 parts of it that could have been better in revealing the mystery and stuff but that's how I did it and that's how I, I tried to make it work and that's what makes it a unique it's a unique movie in that respect you know yeah it really is the difference between so writing confession and the fact you've written so many other movies as well the banishing hand gone job uh, green mm-hmm. street three um screwed can you describe the difference between writing confession on your own and just sitting there and getting on with it, knowing you wanted to write a contained movie as opposed to writing something that, you know, these were before the pandemic. So you're making movies that are, or you're writing movies that are bigger in scope an idea. Talk us through the differences, if you don't mind. For me, fundamentally, there is no difference. I mean, you know, in the way that I approach it, I could be writing Interstellar for Christopher Nolan, Mm -hmm. or I could be writing Confession for me, the approach, the planning, and what I want to achieve in engaging the audience would fundamentally be would be the same. But I guess the two biggest 
different types of movie, I'd say, that I approach differently in the style, stylistically would be, if you look at the Hat and Garden job, that is full-on popcorn, fun. It's a crime caper. It's the Italian job. It's that type of feel-good, fun caper. Mm-hmm. Still with, you know, elements of, of, of thriller inside it. But that's, stylistically, that's the polar opposite of what Confession is, which is a, it's a deep story about a troubled man who's gone through some incredibly bad things. And it's about how he reveals that. So I think those two, those two types of movies were so opposite that my my mindset had to be different. But then when I had like The Banishing, which was a horror, and Confession, there were similarities in them because the way Andy and I paced Confession on screen and the way I think that I wrote it, it has a horror feel to it, Confession, mm. you know? It has that very suspenseful feel. So I guess it's about the difference in writing them is getting, for me, it's about getting my mindset in tune with the, with the tone of the movie that I'm writing. And that could be, you know, when I did the Hat and Garden job, you know, I was listening to the score of the Italian job, things like that, you know. With Confession, I was listening to a lot of stuff from Hitchcock films and things like that. So mm. as long as my mindset is in the right place for the tone of the film, hopefully that comes across right. But fundamentally, whatever I'm writing, it could, an episode of Hollyoaks are still... Mm throw the kitchen sink in it. So we've written, you've written the script and we've gone through the process and you have your producer and... Um, That's you. We have, this is me. So we have a, a green lit movie now and then we have to engage collaborators, obviously, you know, to work to David so he can explain his vision and get the right collaborators on. Hence why we introduced the lovely and- Andrew Roger, um, who'd obviously I'd worked with before. So I introduced Andrew to Dave and then the guys started working together and shot listing and you know, putting the vision on screen. So do you want to talk us through your first meetings with Dave Andrew and what you thought about the script when you first read it and what made you want to join Confession? Well, obviously, you know, it's your film, so I'm in. But beyond that... <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, like... In Dave, we, do, like, we are yeah. serious sometimes, honestly. <laughs> it's fine. It's good. I actually I meant it. that, but okay. <laughs> Thanks, Andrew. No, I mean, that's the big part of it. Like, no, having worked with you before and knowing that the production would be good and make a good film and you weren't going to waste time with it. And obviously, it was a difficult time to start making a movie. I mean, it's always difficult, but at the beginning of a lockdown. Um, so Dave and, Dave and I met like this over Zoom. I think that was our first chat. And I still don't know how to use bloody Zoom after all this time. <laughs> <laughs> but you were able to get in the room with Andrew. I mean, I know it initially started mm. with Zooms and we did quite a few HODs on Zooms. Funny enough, we managed, um, and that's, this is something we'll talk about later, we did manage to get our cast physically in a room together because we had flown them over four days before we started shooting. So we had some wonderful rehearsals. Oh, nice. But you did get in the room with Andy, and I know that you spent several days shot listing. He came to my house, didn't you, Andy? We, we, I did, we spent, yeah. We, we spent quite a few days together. The, the coolest dude turns up to my house in a jag with his amazing hair, gets out. And I was like, this guy is just the coolest man I've ever met and in my life. And then Andrew said, hey! <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what? Everyone says that. Do you know what Andrew had? We shot in a church with confession and mm-hmm. Andrew had a parking space directly outside the front door. Nobody else could park there. Andrew <laughs> drove in every day, door slammed, hair just- went swish. <laughs> yeah. As he got hair out of the I don't yeah, think exactly anyone said I could park there. I just assumed that like, I'm going to park here. You're the <laughs> reverend. You were like, I'm parked in the reverend's parking spot. Yeah, yeah bless you, my child. Yeah. yeah. Every day, right next bless to the catering van as well. 
<laughs> he walks out looking like Jesus going, bless you, child, bless you, child. The, 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 the car, car park space is parted for him. <laughs> and he went... I love it. So you two were chatting away about the, you know, the process behind it. What was the chat then? Because this is quite interesting how directors and DOPs do chat at that point. Obviously, me, me and Andy have mm. chatted loads about that. But interesting to hear the other side. How did you pitch it, Dave? And Andy, how did you pitch back to Dave? Dave, we'll start with you. First thing, what I want, you know, when I work with a with a DOP, I want them. I don't want to front load to them what I what what I, I expect from the project I want to hear what their thoughts are to see whether it's come across on the script first of all whether you know we're, we're in sync from the off do you know what I mean because obviously yes. if you turn around and said you know he, he saw it as a comedy musical we'd be you know miles miles apart which he, did, but, which, he, which he did and that's it we, 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 we will keep that for the sequel um, so so yeah I, I, I just kind of let Andy speak to me we had a call you know what what do you think of it and then on the first call I think Andy we were just we were on the same page immediately you know which was which made my life a lot easier mm. because he understood from the script what I, what I wanted to do and then I think it just kind of organically built from that, and you know, I, I'm very trusting in my in my HODs. You know, I'm I'm a director. I I can't, as you can see, I can't even use an iPhone, um, <laughs> but I know I know exactly what I want, and I need people HODs, particularly my cinematographer, to give me a better version of what I want. So I would say to Andy exactly how I'd want a scene to run. And then we would talk about it. I'd come. We'd write shot list together. But Andy, a lot of times, would I'd say correct my original shot list because he'd say <laughs> we should try this, and I'd go, "That's a better version of what I want." Thank you again. That's why you're my cinematographer. Do you mm -hmm. know what I mean? So yeah. that's kind of from my perspective how it went. And then I hope he agrees with this. I found it incredibly easy. You know, it it, it wasn't it wasn't a drag. We shot listed very very easily and you know, once we got out there on the dance floor on the day I, I kind of think we, we we found our groove relatively fast well you had to considering we had 12 days to shoot the bloody thing <laughs> we didn't have time to not to not find our groove and hardly any crew actually because of obviously the covid yeah i mean we'll get to that. i mean yeah same for me really i mean it was i think you know pretty quickly when you talk to a director for the first time if you're going to work be able to work with them got on with david straight away um and there's a there's a thing with directors like sometimes they'll just be about the actors and they'll have no kind of like visual idea. And then sometimes, you know, they've, they've just got like a really strong vision and it's, and as a DP, you kind of have to fit in between that roles. But the nice thing with David was he had really good ideas visually, but was really collaborative about it. So yeah. So it, we, we, he'd say, how about this? And I'd say, yeah, brilliant. What if we also did this or did this? And it made it really easy to, to make it good <laughs> <laughs> can you give us an example david it'd be really interesting to see you know what your vision was i know it's difficult maybe now to remember too much but it'd be really interesting i think for our listeners to know that you said look you know i wanted to do these big vistas or these big wides or these tracking shots i wanted to slowly push in I i'd be really interesting to know and i'd love to know as well actually what your thought process as the director was to build each individual scene because they were talking heads a lot of the time there were two people talking to each other so how did you think you're going to build this to the brilliant uh, finale that it is i think the, the, the key point for me was what i first said to annie was if the camera's not moving it's not working you know that that was kind mm -hmm. of my my mantra with this film not that we didn't do stuff on sticks because we did but the thing with a movie like confession as you've said 
essentially it's a play, right? It's mainly mm. any way we dress this up. It's an intense thriller, but it's it, it's born out of it's born out of conversations. So the key for me is, you know, it's like the movie Buried, right? Ryan yeah. Reynolds. The film's set inside a coffin, but it's, it's it's visually epic, right? The camera moves and you're on the edge of your seat. It's a stunning piece of, of film. So for me, it was always about how can we keep every scene as, as intense and visually beautiful as possible? Because one, it's written inside a church, so you've got a, you've got a backdrop which is cinematic by default. Mm. So we just need to utilise the, the location that we're in because the problem is with a film like Confession, if you're not keeping it looking good and feeling tense, it can be boring. Mm. So the whole thing for me was that every scene as much as possible it had it had to come with a i guess i guess like a a a mini a mini story point of a beginning middle and end so there's like a climatic point of in each scene and the camera would would move to to distinguish those climatic points so the whole point you know there's moments in the film when it's two people talking but i think you're shitting yourself right it's Mm. pretty it's quite it's quite intense and quite scary so the visual side of this movie and and, and I'm, you know I thank Andy for saying that is it was, was was very important to me that it remained it had to feel big and look big and feel like a real movie to make sure that the audience were with the story so that's how I kind of approached every scene is to make sure that they was in well, were as intense as possible and there's no fat on this film is there it's straight in straight mm-hmm. out I mean the runtime is what I think 83 minutes something it like is that quick. yeah you don't yeah. have a moment to breathe and that was the point of the film, and that, that's down to I said I said it on a, on a quote recently. You know, this this movie doesn't have VFX and CGI's. You know, the actors and the camera do the talking. That is what this is. It's old fashioned filmmaking that I'd like to say at its best because it, it is. It's a it's a camera. It's actors, and it's it's cut in a way that that gives you that that, that tension. You know? mm. And Andy, how did you then put that onto? you know, you, what your vision was where, where Dave said that to you, said, this is what I want. How then did you expand on that? But also then how did you achieve that? Because it does achieve that, exactly what you said, building up the tension massively and it keeps it interesting throughout the whole movie. Thank you. I mean, yeah, just like that, just lots of conversations, lots of references. I watched Buried again and mm-hmm. that was a big a big visual reference. Um, but also like, when I talked about this before, but every film you shoot, you learn something new and it, it becomes useful two or three films down the line, there's, there's things like that on the dare, you know, obviously a lot of the dare is in one room. Mm-hmm. Um, but when we shot that, they, we'd say, right, this scene is, is going to be shot, you know, all long lens or there's going to be one move or, um, so I was brought some of those things on this. Um, and also on, um, King Arthur, what's it called? Arthur and Merlin, mm-hmm. Knights of Camelot. Um, there's, there's, there's lighting stuff in that, that I brought across to Dave's movie because, you know, that was a lot in castles, natural light. This is in a beautiful church, mm. natural light. Am I allowed to say we shot it in the day? Is that? Of course. Yeah, okay, yeah. Cool. I mean, the blackout fell down on a daily basis and we it had did. to go clambering up the scaffold, but yes. Bless you and no G for, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah we, we, had, we, had, we had my son up on a ladder holding it, didn't you we? Did, like, you did, and Liam, who's brilliant. Um, yeah, shout out oh, to Oh, brilliant. I mean, Hang on, yeah. so, so you've got you all out there with gaffer tape trying to hold <laughs> yeah. up these blackouts. <laughs> totally. in the church. Oh, yeah. Because... Every day. So actually following on, yes, we shot it during the day Mm -hmm. Um, for for lots of reasons. It's it's easier during the day, health and safety, you know, all of those things. Um, And obviously we had to black the church out and we're on a a budget. So, 
you know, we couldn't black the entire church, as you can imagine, as same as Arthur and Merlin, the high windows. I've got, I've got, to re- I've got to interject here quickly for, um, for something. How Andy was so brilliant in this, right? Because I, I've never shot day for night. It you was were blowing, nervous, it was, I remember. It was blowing my mind that we only had to black out one side of the church. And I think <laughs> I asked Andy every fifteen minutes for twelve days, <laughs> "Is this going to look like night?" And um, he said, "Yes, just trust me." And, and, and I did. And mm. and the, the blackout that we did have, Giles, was falling down. Right. So I was like. <laughs> Mad. Lucinda, I can't shoot with this because it's falling down. And she was like, well, you're losing time. I would shoot something or you're not going to have a film. <laughs> right, let's... That's and then I'd say, let's fix it in post. Yeah, but we don't have money for post. Let's just shoot the thing then and, and, uh, wow. and hope for the best. And Andy, Andy in, his, uh, in his wisdom, he really did. And it's, it, it, looks, it looks beautiful because mm-hmm. I had very distinctive visual references that I shared with Andy of, of how I wanted stuff to look and the candles that he used, the magic candles that we moved around, which are great. And um, <laughs> yeah. he showed me some references of stuff and I was just like, that is that is bang on the money. It hits, you know, mo- mo- movie, right? Movie making for me is about tone, yeah? It's all mm-hmm. about tone. If you get the tone right for whatever piece you're doing, you can be forgiven for certain elements. You've just got to get the tone right. And uh, Andy from, it's, it's been complimented since the first time I, sh- I showed the movie to anybody, it's been complimented how well it was shot. And that's testament to what he'd done because, you know, whilst I trusted him and I was looking at the dailies and I could see, but still sometimes on the day, I was like, well, is that, are we going to be able to grade that right? Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's 4K. And then we did. And, and, and it worked. So he literally shot a movie at night time with candles, with massive windows, when there was sunlight coming through them lots of times and he made it look like night. The man's a genius, do you know what I mean? <laughs> love it, I love it. I'd like it. to agree with you, Dave, of course. But, <laughs> but, 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 I mean, but, but thank you. I mean, yeah, I mean, that's the thing, like you work with the restrictions you have um, mm-hmm. and, and, and you use them to advantage. We use the sun as, as the moon and, you know, we couldn't black the whole church anyway because you need light to come in. Um, but I mean, a, a huge part of the look as well is, is um, Maria Chamberlain, the, the colorist on it, who just did an incredible job just mm. shaping those extra shadows and, and, you know, just really, really making it look like night. She's fantastic. She got it, didn't yeah. she as well? She just yeah. got it. She, she knew very quickly um, what we, what we were trying to, we were trying to achieve. And that, mm-hmm. that what we kind of had the perfect storm really, with 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 the uh, key people that are involved, it's like mm. we got a composer on guy from the states called Dimitri, and he he's done a lot of big kind of Netflix stuff. But he watched the film, and he he just he just instantly got what we needed to do with it, you know. And he he elevated the the movie. You know, we made this movie on peanuts, right? But if mm. you look at the cast, you look at how it looks, the way it's presented. It's a proper, you know, what we've achieved is it's, it's the biggest achievement in my career without without a shadow wow, of a doubt wow, wow. because it's it, it you know I I would say I've, my stress levels were at the at, at their peak. That's fascinating. And what did you learn? Like, and if you go back now, or you're going to make another confession two next week or whatever, imagine yeah. how would your stress levels be? Would you have learned from what you went through to sort of go, look, maybe I didn't need to be so stressed just to tell our filmmakers out there that sometimes, you know, obviously we can get stressed on a film set, but have you learned from it? I suppose is a really important question. I think sort of kind of airing what Andy said earlier, you, you, you learn something from every movie you make. Mm-hmm. You know that was that was my that was my full feature as, as director. I think the stress levels were peaking on this film for the sheer 
there was no time. We didn't have any time. You know, we had an incredibly tight budget. You know, we were we were pulling in favours left, right, and centre to, to to get it done. Mm. You know, some days I was shooting sixteen pages. This is a feature film. I've just done a, a block of EastEnders, mm-hmm. and there's a misconception sometimes with um, with independent film that they think we have it easy and we work slow. And I was like, on EastEnders, <laughs> I, I, I was shooting, you know, 12, 13 pages, sometimes sometimes more. But on a, on a show like EastEnders, when I've got multiple cameras... Mm-hmm. Lights already set ma- up, sets up, already Massive done. crew. Yeah. yeah, I've got a gallery that's looking, at, looking over with, you know, continuity just... The, the the help on that I found that much easier than than confession because the the thing with confession is that we were, we were shooting at you know a, a kind of soap pace yep. and it's a feature film with one camera with limited crew during a lockdown and it was you know I look back on it with with, with complete fondness so to answer your question would you know is there stuff I've learned oh, of course there's there is. I think from my perspective as director, if you don't have moments when you're asking yourself a question and, and there's some internal stress there, that could be a period where you maybe are not caring as much and it might be the time to, to kind of hang up your camera. Do you know what I mean? It's mm. like, you know, I, I think that, that, that tension and that stress is there because you care so much, mm. you know, and, that's, and that's, that's what it is. Do you think the fear from it is the fear of failure the fear of the fact that you had made three movies before they're successful movies um do you think the fear is the fact that we as directors filmmakers make something and then people go oh it wasn't good enough and we go but i only had i only had i only had you know and we come up with the excuses but no one cares about the excuses do you think that no. was a factor no i think the fear of failure is always there you know mm-hmm. if you don't have that concern a slight concern but again for me that internal monologue of is this going to be as good as i hope it's going to be it have i have have i cocked this up or whatever i think again you're not caring enough in in, in my my perspective so i think i've become kind of desensitized to reviews of my films because mm-hmm. you know when i did the hat and garden job i was massively criticized for ripping off guy ritchie and when right. I did the Hat and Garden job, I was massively praised for being the new Guy Ritchie. Okay. Right. So mm-hmm. you can't please everyone. So my fear of failure is it comes from am I happy with the film that I've delivered? And I always put it in the percentage terms of if I if you get to a movie and you're 70 to 75%, your movie's at that, 75% of where you hoped it would be. Mm-hmm. When you started, I think you've made a have made a really good movie because everything you do comes with boundaries, and a lot of them, a lot of those are financial. You know, you have an idea of how you want to shoot something, but yeah, you can't have a crane and a drone mm-hmm. and fourteen hundred extras. So it's always you're compromising at every level, whatever you do. So it's about for me, it's about can I. And have I delivered a film that is as good as it could have been with all the things that I had? And that's that's where I'm satisfied as a person. You're quite right. Some people might say, well, you did that wrong. Well, no, I didn't have the money. They don't give a shit if you had the money or not. You mm-hmm. know, but yeah, so there was no extra fear from from this than any other film or in anything else I've directed. I found it very hard. They were tiring days. We had a mm-hmm. lot to get through. You know, 
one at one stage, Andy and I, do you remember that scene, Andy? We were doing 20 minute takes. I mean, I've never, <laughs> ne- never done that in my life. 20 minute yeah. takes. Wow. I wondered takes. where my production manager had gone. He said, I'm just going to take something to uh, Dave. And then 40 minutes later, I was like, I text him, where are you? He went, they're doing 20 minute takes. He said, they won't let me out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, it, and that's that's something wow. I may never repeat again, but we, we Andy and I and, and the actors, we, you know, we were rehearsing, we were rehearsing this scene. It's the, it's the longest, it's the longest dialogue scene in it. Yeah. And, the, and, and and the guys they were doing Stephen and, and Colin were doing amazing amazing stuff how they but remember they, they, those these, lines is amazing incredible, yeah. incredible. but, the, but yeah. these but these it was such a such a big part of the film sometimes you know you know what it's like when you're directing if, if an actor gets their lines wrong it can take them out of the moment mm-hmm. you try and go you just have to cut you start get start again we realised rehearse this we, we couldn't do that because the scene was so long so it's like look I'm just gonna gonna stay action Andy and I had spoke about what he's going to do with the camera. He's just going to keep it moving and I'm just going to keep rolling, keep rolling it. And if I want to give any instructions, which I would shout out, stop, go back to this line or whatever, carry on. And then we, we've done it. I think we've done it six times, didn't we, Andy? Six times we've done that. 20, I mean, 20 minute takes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just couldn't believe it. I mean, I'd, I've never seen actors do that. Like Colin and, and Stephen just just like machines, just re- and, and beautiful performances every time and different things each time. But, it was, it was theater. It was theater. Yeah, it was. It was. It was like it was like watching an incredible play. It's a super intimate thing, and the camera was just tracking across. It's me and a little team of people just quietly trying not to squeak, pushing this camera left and right. Like, <laughs> quite, yeah. it, was, it was quite. It's quite a memory. It was. It was amazing. Yeah. Wow. That which which must have been like like say if if then uh, the black did fall down during a twenty minute take or someone did come through the door or someone did make a noise I, I can oh, understand it happened. It happened. how that, well that's what I mean how annoying that must be but at the same time it's like well it's indie filmmaking isn't it? people aren't used to a twenty minute take uh, but wow yeah. you know no wonder the actors loved it because actors do love that stuff you know there's no question about it they can get in the moment get in with it and it's it's really hard for those crew who aren't involved in that specific moment you know they're out the back or they're holding up a flat or the whole because they're going yeah come on guys so i can see why tensions would rise but at the end of the day it is about what's on screen it is about what you deliver and the cinematography here is fantastic the performance is fantastic the direction of that is fantastic so you did achieve what you were aiming to achieve but yes i can see 12 days is is tough let's just jump back a tiny bit to we sort of glossed over the green lit side of this film and i think it's really important here where you went from writing this or having the initial idea in two weeks and getting a really solid script to sending something to lucinda and bringing andy and then the team and then casting colomini and stephen moyer but we've missed a little section which was how the actual money came about and how it happened which is what a lot of our indie filmmakers want to hear so i don't know who best is to take this at the moment but maybe just talk us through how that happened and how you actually managed to raise the money for the film. Yeah, obviously Dave and I had had, uh, discussed the film and who the best financiers were um, to partner up on this particular project. And we went out to lots of different people and a lot of people um, who wanted to put the finance in. And Dave and I wanted to sit very comfortably um, knowing that this was a special project that we were making together. Mm -hmm. And the first time we'd worked together. So we wanted it to live you know, with the, with the right people that, you know, would back us and, and let us do what we wanted to do with it creatively and let Dave put his, you know, flair on it without staunching the process at all. Mm-hmm. Um, we went out to, we already had, Stephen was our, was our first cast member we attached and then obviously the lovely Colin 
jumped off another project to join our one, I think. But that's a whole different yeah. story for well, a glass of wine. I hope he wasn't. I hope they weren't already filming when he did that. <laughs> <laughs> no. no, it was yeah. it was before it was before filming, but on a project from the same financier. So that, yeah. that, that's what that's, so that was, that's that was, the, um, kind of funny. But obviously, the filmmakers and we're all friends, so it's course, you know yeah. it's, it's all it's all it's all good. Um, yeah, it was a great moral win for us. It's brilliant. <laughs> no we had a joke with them actually on the phone you stole our leading man but all in jest it was great fun you know we're well, all, we're all so. collaborators <laughs> for, for you guys it was yeah, but anyway yeah. so go on you, you mentioned they're a financier so what did you so now you went to Stephen Moyer first with the project because obviously you worked with him in the past yeah so David worked with him on um, Hatton Garden Job mm-hmm. he really wrote it for Stephen actually um, with Stephen in mind Stephen loved it and now you've got a name attached so you're in a better place already yeah yeah I mean we had decided you know the, the script had gone to lots of different financiers and we had already got the interest before we'd actually you know got the cast but it did help um, move it along quicker but also just we, we wanted to get casting we wanted to get moving rather than us sit back and still decide who we wanted to place the project with so Dave and I went ahead and, and cast the project Stephen was first um, Colm very close second um, on joining the project and Dave and I spent yeah many many hours deciding on you know who to, who to kind of put the project with and we went with Signature because I've worked with them before he's worked with them before we get on very well with them and so that was the best fit for the movie we we thought we thought so that's why we ended up going with signature and yeah that's just kind of how that ended up and for any any new filmmakers out there you've got to look on both sides of the picture whenever you are wanting to put a project together like you have to you have to look at from a from a finances point of view the first thing they will look at before whether whether you know you've you've got the next Oscar winning script before they you know give you any money at all they have to look at what am I exposed for what is the worst case scenario what can I lose mm. and that's what they that's what they look at because what people particularly some filmmakers forget is that above everything where the money comes from it's a business and if the business doesn't make money in the long term there's no longer a business, there's no longer money, then you no longer make films. So the way I've always approached filmmaking is to try and come up with a project that I'm obviously are artistically fulfilled by and I've bought into it, but it also is producer-friendly and financier-friendly that they can run numbers on it, like, like you said. And there's, you know, there's two ways of doing that. It's, it's, a, it's IP or a massive story that people know, Mm-hmm. or it has a massive cast name. When you're operating as an, at an independent level, you need to try and mix and match that. You get the best names you can you can get with your script and money, and you make the script as, you know, as commercially viable. And by commercially viable is that I think distributors and finances, they, they need to be able to say what a film is within a sentence or two. And if they can mm-hmm. do that, they can pitch it, they can sell it, and they can get people on board, you know, one of one of the best examples of of that is my friend's um, Johannes Roberts. He directed Forty Seven Meters Down. It's yeah, produced by yep. T Shop, mm-hmm. and those guys. He had the idea. He was really into 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 uh, diving. And he had the idea about these full face masks, and they tried to, to they tried to get it off the ground, but nobody could nobody could see what he could see. So they shot a two minute teaser. Mm-hmm. Then they got it financed off that because it was it was it was proof of. 
um, of genre concept. proof of uh, yeah. concept. Yeah. Mm. So um, it, it, it is that way with, you know, like you said, unless you are in the luxurious pr- position of, you know, of being a Shane Meadows or a, you know, a Guy Ritchie or any of these types that can, you know, their name on it is enough to sell. Mm. You have to be, and, and there's, there's, there's a very, there's a very small percentage of people that have that luxury. Cause I, I know without name dropping too much, I know massive writers and directors that, that get turned down all the time with projects still, mm. you know, it is always a, it is an up, it's an uphill battle, but you've got, you've got to try and navigate that hill as, as, as best you can. And it's, and it's giving the finances they want to know what are they exposed for? What's their bottom line? And that's what that's what it comes down to. And any way we we kind of uh, dress that up, that that is it. I mean, the only the only the only place that consistently don't mind losing money is the BFI because they hardly ever ever invest in um, commercial movies, and that is that is that is the filmmakers club that has a no entry sign to the majority of filmmakers, which is completely arse about face because they should be helping filmmakers start out but they they don't and i say that as somebody who's you know made one of the most successful independent films in the last five years in the hat and garden job mm-hmm. you know eight movies in i've never had a dime out of the bfi not one penny not one not one p- p- piece of help and i've never even had a meeting and that 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 that's it that says it all yeah. you know and, it, and i think there's a fundamental flaw within our business the the support there for up and coming filmmakers is just not there. You have you have to be as a filmmaker, like like you are, Giles. You know, you you you, ha, you have to be somebody that's that's savvy and aware of the business to navigate your way through. Because the doors, the you know the the doors, they, they're never open, are they? You constantly have to kick them down, mm-hmm. and that, and that is that's the thing that new film filmmakers have to understand. That you know, I I was naive to it at the start. I thought, oh, once I made a film the phone's going to ring non-stop and I'll make whatever I want. It, it just doesn't happen. It's, it's, it's a, it's a, you know, it's a business like any other that you have to constantly keep, keep working on to get business. It's, it's a tough one. It's tough. It is a really tough one. And it's, it is very true. And you do have to kick the door down. And actually sometimes that door is still bolted and you can't still can't yeah. kick it through like the BFI. And some people have had success. We've had people on the podcast who have some indie mm. films have managed to break through that door, but certain mm. people like myself and you at the moment, we're not getting through. It's, it's just the system. But I think if people know that that's the system, don't expect anything. And I think it makes you work harder. It certainly made me and you work harder, I'd say. Yeah, Lucinda, yeah. the same, you know, we'd sort of go, yeah, hey, totally. we didn't get help from them. But do you know what? Mm. Oh, maybe I don't need them. Because if you rely on that, you know, I know the Danish system and the Swedish system, they rely on that conveyor belt. You can't get on that conveyor belt. But once you're in, you kind of go, I'm in this now. I don't have to do anything. But we're mm. not like that here in the UK. We all really want to succeed and work hard and, you know, we'll stick fingers up to them and go, ha ha. And then maybe we'll need them then, you know, I, I don't know. But I, I think it is really interesting. And the more you know how hard it is, the better. And that's why it's great you say that, Dave, because it, it's true. It's a tough old door to kick in. So you've got to be, have that steel helmet on to start with if you're going to bash your head against it, you know? Let's jump it straight into when you're filming. You're working with actors of the calibre of uh, Stephen Moyer and Colin Meaney and Claire Hope Ashete. Yeah. How do you work that? You've got 20 minute takes, you know, or you're doing less, you know, you're doing five minute takes. How do you 
work with actors? What's your process to pull a performance or find a seed? What what do you like to do there that might be different to your, you know, everyday life? I think for me, it's key that I have um, long discussions with my cast before I before we start filming, and because I come, you know, I have directed a script that I haven't written, but yes. well, quite a few now from quite EastEnders few, as yeah. well. Yeah, quite a few. Um, but because I come from a writer's background. To start, I'm a writer first. You know, character, backstory, and story are, are, are kind of something that is, is within my DNA first. Mm. So I like to get on a page with the with, with the actors about who the character is, what their journey actually is, what's the point of each, of, each, of each sequence. So when we when we can then be on a in agreement of who and what the character is, and of course, I encourage you know some of the actors I've worked with. Yeah, amazing talent. Mm-hmm. I, I, like I like I said earlier about Avandi, I, I trust my HRDs. I want to collaborate. I'm not an actor. I know what I want. I know what I want the characters to be, but I want my actor to come up with ideas too. Sometimes they're not the ideas that I want, mm. and you have to delicately express that. <laughs> but um, I try to make sure that we're in agreement with what the character is before we get on the day. It's down to again. It's back to the the preparation of everything. So I just make sure that I'm also not well rehearsed. I'm well read on my own script mm. because some actors, they will just, they will just say what's on the page. Other actors would like to know what the character had for breakfast last Tuesday. So I need to make sure I have the full understanding and it's easy even when you've written it, it's easy to forget things. I need to know I have the full understanding of who and what the characters are. So I've got answers. But the other thing I've learned is to not bullshit actors either. If they mm. ask you a question that's tricky and you don't know the answer, own it. I'm not sure. I need to think about that. Because if you try and try and bullshit your way out of stuff, you can lose the respect of the actor straight away. And of course, actors, they're putting their faith in you that you're going to make them look right and good and justify their performance on camera. Mm-hmm. So they're right to be nervous at certain times. And your job as director is to reassure them that they're, they're doing the right thing. Even sometimes when you ask them to do something they disagree with, you have to kind of you have to kind of re- reassure them. And there's a fine line of reassurance and also being strong in, in letting them know that you know you know what you're doing and, and you're doing it for a, for a reason. So it's, it's it's a delicate it's a delicate line of communication. You know that's what mm-hmm. it's all about. And yes. it's the same it's the same. You know. If you're an arsehole to your actor, they're going to be an arsehole back. Indeed. You know? Yep. And, and 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 likewise, if your actor's going to be an arsehole, you might be a bit stronger with them in, in making them toe the line in what, what, what you want and what you need, you know? So it's just collaboration. It's, it's communication. That's what it's all about. And as a director, you are collaborating and communicating your vision, not from the day you get on set. You're doing that from the day you've given it to a producer. Mm. Because my job as confession, it's all come out of my brain. So my job is to tell everyone that's working on my film exactly what's in my brain. And it's down to me to, to explain that and project that well enough. And that's when I go back to when you finish a film, if it's 75% of what you originally attended, you've done amazing because that 25% will, will come down to cost, your own faults of not explaining it correctly, a multitude of things. So if you can get 75% of what you originally thought of, thought it was, 
for me, that's you, you've succeeded, whatever people think of your film. I love that. Yeah. And it must, must be the same with your crew as well. And, you know, especially working with someone as talented as Andy as well, that you know that you can sort of vision for something's up here and then you go, okay, try and get me that. And then when someone brings you something even better, like you said at the beginning, hey, that's better than even better. That must, yeah, yeah. that must be great. That must even, you know, there's nothing better, is there? Then you go, I, it, think, I want to do it like this. And then the DP Dave goes, know what that's like. He'd have no yeah. idea what he's <laughs> never experienced that. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Yeah. And how is that for you that, then, Andy? Like, like say on, on that, how, for this project, for Confession, you know, you did have 12 days. Again, you've worked with a lot of the crew before, so you did have a bit yeah. of a shorthand. Yeah. There were some new, new people. And obviously Dave knew there with your directing relationship. How is it for you then to plan this and to, to think about what you had to shoot to, to make Confession look as it does. Yeah, I mean, that's obviously great to have the time to sit with Dave and talk it all through, get everything really locked down before we shoot. But yeah, I mean, a, a bit scary. It's just the crew size. I mean, I had wonderful support from Lucinda and, and everyone else, um, uh, which is why I was able to do it. But, you know, we had we had a spark and we had uh, a focus puller and a second. Um, and, and an Oscar, wasn't and, it? And, and, yeah. and Hermione is a sort of DOT yeah, trainee of kind of person, who, uh, all of whom, like, incredible mm. um but you know you get used to working with teams of 50 people and then and, and you go ah right how can i get this what can i do to make this look good <laughs> you know <laughs> and, yeah. and, and get it in the time um but i there's i think there's just a lot of quality like it's a beautiful location the actors are incredible they're all you've seen them on films they already have that kind of mm. gravitas and that cinematic face i don't know um and and and, and all of them were just fantastic because you know you worry you go into a film with less than you would normally have and you, you want to look after everyone you want to look after the actors you want to make sure you capture it but there are like they all gave everyone gave so much including the actors that it was was good what was your question i've just rambled on no that's great it was how <laughs> did you manage to plan your shots with within that team then you know with someone you like dave but also your experienced team that you've worked with before how were you then going okay this is what i want to achieve and how were you communicating that to the team yeah i mean it's the same thing isn't it? you're going with an idea a lot of the time someone else will have a better idea nathan the steady cam chap we had an incredible dp in his own right he'd say yeah mm. cool or what about this or i can do this or mm. you know people because he knows the steady cam so well he'll say yeah that'll work but i can also give you this or this will be nicer or so it's it's that kind of it's just collaboration it's, it's being sure of what you want but being open enough to, to have someone tell you something better and recognizing that you know yeah being open so ask dave a question dave obviously we work together, um, but... Oh, you're hosting now. Okay. Well done. So, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I always mean to ask this, like, obviously, when you be, we work together great and we got them straight away. What what do you look for in, as like for a DP, when you when you first meet them? What's, mm. what, what, what would you need from them, I guess? I think the first thing I look for is make sure the person's not an arsehole straight away. <laughs> do you know what I mean? You know. Whoops. <laughs> 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 yeah, so... I just want to make, look, I want to make sure what I look for is that there's a creative synergy there straight away, right? So yeah. first, first of all, it is about, is there a personal connection? Can I get, can I get along with this person? That, that being said, it doesn't, it doesn't mean that I wouldn't work with somebody who I wouldn't necessarily be friends with if they were the right talent, mm. but I still want to be able Makes to find a common ground with that person. Yeah, it does make it harder because if you can find a common ground with that person, you know, whether it's 12 days, 25 days, 50 days, they're long days. And for me, my whole movie, obviously, and this is not taking away from the rest of the crew, mm -hmm. but my whole movie on the day of capturing what I need, it's about making sure my actors 
give me what I need, but my, I have to make sure that my DP can take care of business and make it look the way that I need. And I need to trust that person. So I need to have an understanding, a creative synergy with the person straight away. Then, then we get down to the nuts and bolts. You know, what have you done before? Show me references. Um, you know, let's talk. As you know, you know, I'm not the most technically minded person there is, but I do know a little bit about lenses. I know a little bit about, you know, the style and the look and uh, and whatever it is that I'm trying I'm trying to achieve. So I don't want to be, I don't necessarily want to be blown away by technical jargon, but I want to know that this this person understands understands their tools, right? Yeah. And uh, and and explains their tools of choice and how they're going to use it for me if we work together. Mm. So it's all it's all of those things together, and and, and also it's about I, I don't think anybody should be rushed. But some DPs are a lot slower than others, mm-hmm. from a you know mm-hmm. from an actual standpoint. And I want to get from the the DP that, that when the when the shit and fan meet, they can still make things work because that does <laughs> can get because it, that, yeah because that does happen right. It's mm. that it's there, there are cock ups every single day. You know that is that is filmmaking on other productions that I've been around. I've seen when things go wrong. I've seen DPs have particularly struggled mm. and you need a DP to be super strong in those difficult moments. Cause it's not an if it's when there's always, there's always something that goes wrong and, and something mm. that, you know, that is an obstacle. It's not filmmaking without those, without those things. So choosing my DP of those three things, it's yes. Are they, are they a decent person I can get along with? Are we creatively in sync? You know, are we talking the same language? Cause sometimes there's just styles and conversations just don't work and and do they understand their tools and can they use them when things go wrong you know mm. and that's kind of that's kind of my process of elimination really that's vital i think it's, you made a really good point there you know if if a dp or any crew member has been through the trenches and made something for nothing in no amount of days and it is yeah. stand upable you know yeah. that when the shit hit the fan on your project that they will be able to deal with it where sometimes and hey not always the case but big studio dps etc big studio crew it's a lot harder or tv crew it's a lot harder for them to it's a separate thing you know it's all done by the book sometimes and it is harder when like the fan meets the shit to actually go okay here's what we've got to do we've got to get stuck in and it is it is a really good point hey there's nothing wrong with taking someone from a big studio movie for sure but you know you've really got to think about all these things and i think it's a it's a good point very good point was the same with the editor as well because i'm obviously working with neil lenthal at the moment on wolves of war and having a great time imagine it was the same here on confession with you and neil i thought neil was is um i think he's a masterful editor and i hope i hope you're enjoying working with him it's the first time on any film i've ever worked on where i've not sat in the same room as my editor even once well we lost our editor before we started shooting as well oh really yeah 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 lost my editor that's the other thing right is that when I shoot about stress levels, I need to know I've got a DP I trust. Mm-hmm. I need to know that there's an editor. I can't stand watching dailies. I like watching assembly, right? Yeah, I don't yeah. want to just watch every fucking take I've done. I want to see that it's cutting together. And I need to have how I, how I select the DPs I want to work with. I, I do the same with editors. And um, I've worked with Emma before on the Hat and Garden job. And we, we also had a very good creative synergy. But she... She knows how important it is for me to feel 
that my editor's there because I know that if I, basically if I've got if I've got somebody that's going to work the cameras, I've got somebody that's cutting it. Whatever happens, and I've got actors. Mm-hmm. I've got a film, right? I've mm-hmm. got a film, and I need to know it's being assembled because for me as well, you know, for my confidence, I need to look at assembly because then it reassures me that. I do know what I'm doing. I am, get, I am getting what, what I've intended to get. <laughs> and you had that great relationship with Neil, didn't you? Yeah, but so with Emma, 48 hours before shooting, she went on to another project. So I, again, I was like, my heart was nearly jumping out of my chest. But yeah, Neil was recommended to me from a, from another producer. Yeah, because he did worked with Johannes a little bit on 47 Metres Down as well. So they might have come through that connection a bit through- as well. It's yeah. through Ben, Ben Jakes. And, um, yeah, Ben Jakes, okay. Yeah, so so I spoke to Neil and you know he's very calm, very, you know, knows his stuff. Yeah. He's very fast at editing mm-hmm. and has brilliant ideas. And he, you know, I never once, I don't even know what he looks like. I don't even think I had a Zoom with him. Did you not you know, Zoom? You just did it phone. No, we oh, spoke wow. on the phone. He don't like Zoom. No, I just get on the phone. I'm old fashioned. I like sending letters second class. Second class. Here's my resignation letter. We didn't get it for four yeah. weeks, mate. Yeah, <laughs> He's ha- only ha- shot ha- two ha- films. <laughs> yeah, handwritten. Um, <laughs> right, just before we go, because, uh, you know, we could talk for ages about confession and hey look it's out now please go watch it please go support indie films as i know a load of you do anyway you do go watch the movies we talk about and thank you and if you do like it go on imdb give it a great review it makes a huge world of difference and on itunes whichever platforms it's on as well do that when you do watch an indie film do go do it honestly the filmmakers will be very very grateful and uh, we all do it to each other if we like the films um so if you could uh dave beaton give us some uh even though you've given us loads of advice to someone who is trying to make their first film or they're directing a film in 12 days or they've got to write something in a short period of time or a long period. Just a bit of advice. I think the, the best the best piece of advice I can give is to, you know, to write and work on projects that you, that you wholeheartedly believe in and want to make. Mm. But, but always keep one eye on the business whilst you do that. Think commercially minded. But above and beyond that, I think what's super key more than anything, and I think you guys, the King Arthur lot, as I call you, that have made many films together, <laughs> is that you've, you've surrounded yourself with like-minded and determined people. And I think my advice to anybody, and I've done exactly the same with James Harris and the T-Shop, T-shop guys, is that if you can build a, a collaborative of people that are like-minded and determined and you are not scared of rolling your sleeves up and crossing Mm. over your job roles because that happens and just getting something made, whatever that may be, a short, a feature, you know, we all have, I I mean, you know, look at the iPhone 13 Pro now. Look at what you can shoot things on. Do you know what I mean? (laughs) I I would just say now is the the time with the, the digital tools that we have, get things get things made whatever at whatever level because if you do that you've got something to show it gets you it gets you more stuff and you can't do it alone you have to be around like-minded people as as Luc- as Lucinda you know has achieved as a producer she's, she's she's built a business of making lots and lots of uh, of movies with relationships with many different crew members and you know, I've done the same, and I, 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 I've, I work with the T Shop, 
Ben and Lucinda, I'm very selective with who I work with because there's a lot of people out there that you can't trust in our business. And I think you need to you need to surround yourself with like-minded people and just keep going. You've got to be in the mindset of it's not about getting a yes, it's about making making sure you give people a reason to not say no, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Mm-hmm. And that's what we've done with that's confession great. because you know, people were liking it, but they were like, mm, you might need a bigger cast member. We just said, well, look, we put it, we package it so well that how can you say no to this? And they yeah. can't. And that's just what you've got to do. It's, it's determination. If you're not a writer, befriend a writer. If you're not a director, befriend a director. If you're a writer, director, befriend a producer. Mm. You know, like-minded people, watch movies, network, constantly network. And, uh, and just, you know, good luck. It's not, an e- it's not an easy business, but it's a business that once you're in, which I think you can all attest to, even if you wanted to leave, because I think we've all had moments where we're, that's it, I'm done. I mean, I, yeah, I quit probably. Yeah, straight after confession. Yeah, no, I, 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 quit, I quit weekly. Your we, all, we all do. Now. I mean, how many, how many conversations have I said to you, listening? that's it, I'm done with this business? Are you, it's ridiculous. And every time you say it to me, I just say, shut up. <laughs> shut but up. We all, but the thing is, what I'm saying is, we're all there, we all do that, but we all still end up carrying on because it, mm. yeah. it, it's, it is an, it's an art form, isn't it? And once you're in, as much as this business irritates the shit out of me, I also love it. You know what I mean? It's like... Yeah, it's it's just one it's one of those one of those things. The ultimate goal would just be to be your own studio, wouldn't it? You know, but yep. that's the that's that's the dream, right? And just got to keep, yeah. just got to keep going. And Andy, from you, just a, a short sentence about advice for directors working with DPs. Be really nice. Normally, we ask you for some advice the other way, but actually, I uh, thought it'd be really interesting to repeat myself. Like, know what you want, but be open to listening to other people who will have a really specific idea about one area that that's all they think about they just think about the photography or they think about the mm. costume or the makeup or the you know absorb all of that and then make a film that's better than you could make on your own because that's the point of filmmaking it's a collaboration beautiful Absolutely. wow there you go. well done Andy that was that well was done me I'll clap myself well listen Confession is out now link to that is in the show notes do go support do go watch we are on Instagram at uh, the Filmmakers Podcast you can find us there or on Twitter at Filmmakers Pod I am at Giles Alderson on both those things Andrew Roger where can people find you if you buy a big bag of Satsumas and yep. you uh, eat most of them in the middle of one of them Mm-hmm. If you cut it the right way, it'll be my mm-hmm. number. And if it's not the right one, just buy more satsumas. <laughs> Is this like a prison <laughs> number? Yeah. 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 Great. So that's where you can find Andy, Lucinda. <laughs> um, you can find me at Pick Perf Limited or at Lucinda R. Dacra. It'll be in the show notes. <laughs> yes, excellent. Send the Thank you. Back down, whatever you Wait, yeah. Thank you so much for listening. You are amazing. I uh, hope your 2022 so far has been what you want it to be. If it hasn't, and as Dave says, do something about it. Make it happen. And if you're lucky enough to rise up and do well, as Dave has done, it is your duty to send the elevator back down. And remember, next week, we have the legend that is Ian McKellen joining us. He of X-Men fame. He of Lord of the Rings fame. So do join us for that next week what a treat Andrew thank you thank you good to see you Dave Lucinda thank you thank you David Beaton thank you so much for joining us you're welcome God bless all of you it's been great thanks for having me take care everyone see you next week cheers bye bye
The Filmmakers Podcast is kept going by your generous support. To hear some bonus content from today's episode and future content, subscribe to our Patreon.